today, we're going to be going and paralleling that text with the text from Psalms 51. So I need you to, to be in both places at once. Two, can you do that, two places at once? I know it's really tough for me. Earlier, <laughs> the earlier service, I, I was preaching out of Jonah chapter 2, and I had a little card stuck in Psalm 51. And of course, the first time I read out of it, I put my card over here, and then I shut the door on that, and I had to go find it again. So don't do that, right? But it isn't in, in Psalm. It's in the middle of the Bible, Psalm 51. So we're going to look at uh, a continuation here of God's scandalous grace. Right, we're in Jonah. That's the, that's the the theme is God's scandalous grace, and it's scandalous because it's it's kind of unrelenting, and it's it's amazing that He continues to pursue us with it, even though we are the way that we are. Right, you and I are are failures in many many ways, and we are not worthy, uh, do or based on our own virtue, uh, to to stand before God. But He continues in His scandalous grace to pursue us, and, and we'll see in this uh, text today that He continues to pursue Jonah. As, as his path of rebellion, right, and God's discipline kind of collide, right? So Jonah's rebellion is going forward, and God's discipline is, is colliding with that rebellion. And, that, and what it's doing is it's taking Jonah deeper and deeper than he could have ever imagined it would have taken him. Um, we saw where God, at the beginning of Jonah, God said, get up and go, and Jonah went down and said no, right? He walked away from God and went down to Joppa, went down to a ship, went down into the ship and went out to sea, and God hurled a storm at him, right? And it was just getting worse and worse for him. And, uh, and the captain comes and says, you should pray. He was down in the middle of the ship. And he said, you should be praying. And he didn't pray. And he said, basically, I, I, I don't care if I live or die, and I don't really care if you live or die, because I just want to go. I'm, it's, my time is up. And, uh, you should, but you, if you want to stop this storm, the way to do it is to toss me overboard. No, I'm not going to jump on my own. I'm not going to go that way, because I really don't care if you die or I die. I'm, I just want to die. And eventually God, through God's provision, God uses the sailors to toss him overboard. And we see at the end of last week when we talked, we saw that he got tossed overboard into the sea. And then what? God, it said God appointed a huge fish for Jonah that swallowed him up, right? And, and basically was, we thought, well, maybe he's dying now. Well, no, he, he was rescued. It's a, it's a fish of salvation uh, and of judgment as well. But we see God rescued Jonah and has a lesson to continue to teach him. So today we go into something called Jonah's, a psalm of Jonah, or Jonah's prayer. And really what I want to call it is, is Jonah's scream, his scream for help. Because when we talk about he cried out for help, the text really actually is talking about a little bit louder than just, God, I really need your help here. It's talking about the waves crashing over him so immensely that he can barely get a breath, let alone speak. But, he, but he's in great, great distress, and we see it's his distress uh, that, that Jonah finally, finally cries out to God. He finally screams to God. You th- think about that? You think about the distress that we get ourselves into? You ever been in that place where you're, you're really, really just distressed? The circumstances of life just weigh you down, and you're finally, God, help me! God, just help! You throw your hands up in the air and just you scream out to God. Now, this is where Jonah's at. And, and as we look at this, this psalm of Jonah, I really want us to think about this. Uh, it, it, is, it is a psalm. It is, there are virtuous uh, thoughts in this psalm and things that we could, we could attribute to, to good things we should be doing. But I really do believe, and I, I, listen, I, I'm not the best theologian in the world, but as I, as I read this psalm and as I've, as I've looked at psalm, uh, psalm 51, of David, at Psalm of David, if we compare and contrast these psalms, this psalm is not a psalm of repent, repentance from Jonah. Although God eventually spits him out, right? The fish spits him out on the, on the shore. This is not a true and genuine psalm of repentance, desiring to be clean from acts of rebellion. 
This is a psalm of, of helpless distress where he cries out, help, I want to be comfortable. This isn't fun, right? It's a distress cry. It's like the game, have you ever played the game Uncle, right? It's, really, it doesn't, it's not the game Uncle, it's just the word Uncle. It could be played in any game. It's when an opponent is bigger and better than you and stronger than you and puts some pain on you. Right? As an older brother, I did this to my younger brother. We'd wrestle on the ground, and I'd twist him in a whatever, headlock, an arm lock, a leg lock, an ankle bite, whatever it might have been. Right? And he would say, uncle, right? I give up. Stop hurting me. Right? And, and that's, that's the game, uncle. We cry uncle. Right? Other, other people say they tapped out, like the, a wrestler. Right? You'd wrestle, and like, I'm done. I'm, I'm good. You got me. I give up. Right? Uh, there's a game called Mercy. We used to play this in high school all the time. I remember this where you, you grab the hands like this and you put your hands interlinked with someone else's hands. And then on go, you try to bend their fingers back as far as you can to hurt them as much as you can. Right? Until they say, mercy. Until they give up. Right? And you just keep going and going. And you know those people who, who are stubborn and they don't say mercy fast enough and they end up with hands that look like this after they're done. Like, well, I didn't say mercy. Well, you should have. Right? But this is what Jonah's doing. He's saying mercy. And it's, it's, it's kind of a counterfeit repentance. It's a distress cry. It's a distress call, but it's not repentance, okay? And we're going to look at that today and see how that looks. You know, there's, um, we, we see counterfeit repentance in us. Uh, we see it certainly in our children, right? We can say, like, when, when our children get in trouble and they come to us and they really just, oh, I'm sorry. Are they really sorry? You know, you wonder, are, are you really sorry? You know, my daughter, if she gets in trouble, there's different punishments at our house and different things we try to use to discipline our children. My, my most recent one with my, my son, this isn't all the time, but, but he, he just likes to throw a tantrum. And, and a swat, a, a timeout, it doesn't, doesn't compute with him. So what I do is just lay him in the middle of the floor. Have I told you this? We lay him in the middle of the floor, and I just tell him, you kick. You keep kicking hard. Kick harder. And tell him to throw that tantrum until he's just so worn out he can't do it anymore. I'm like, go ahead. And then he just calms down, right? Like, man, alive. My daughter will, will do a little, sometimes like a timeout, or you need to, okay, you know how older siblings are with younger, they'll go and, and, you know, playing with a toy, and the younger sibling, of course, my son, he'll instigate half the time, or more than, more than half the time. He'll instigate, he, he wants that, I want that toy, or I want that toy. And, and Bailey, just, she's, she's protective, like, I don't want you to take my toy, I was playing with that toy. But because she's not thinking about what, what the consequences of her actions to her brother might be, she grabs and rips and throws Right, and maybe throws her weight around, and Wesley flies across the room, or what? You know, it's one of those things. Like you need to think about how you respond to your brother, even though your brother's wrong. I'm happy to deal with that, and you can always say, "Mom, Dad, uh, I've got a problem here," and we'll come take care of it, and let him kick and scream on the floor, right? But she deals with with it on her own, and she deals with it poorly. So what we have to do is, okay, Bailey, come here, sit on the couch. You sit in Daddy's seat. You sit there, and you think about what you've done, right? And we, we know that they can really think about it if they want to. But what happens is like, you leave her there for a couple minutes, and then we're going to have a genuine talk. It's not just a cliche. You think about what you did. We actually have genuine conversations with our children about what they've done, right? And she's starting to learn that and get to know that. But I'll walk by the couch, and as I walk by the couch, I'm not there to talk to her yet. I'm not there to let her out of her thinking zone. But she'll say, Daddy, I think about what you said. I think about what, what I did. Well, that's good, Bailey. We'll talk about it in a minute. And when I come back over, part, sometimes she's, she's like, I'll say, well, what did you think about? What did you learn? Um, I can't remember. <laughs> okay, well, obviously you didn't think about it long enough. It was a, that was a counterfeit repentance. You really didn't think about it. All you wanted was to get off the couch and go do what you want to do. Other times we'll ask, well, okay, you thought about it. What, what, what happened? Well, 
I took, took the toy back from Wesley too hard and it hurt him and I shouldn't do that. You're right. And we have a talk about that and she apologizes to Wesley. We make sure she does that. And she apologizes to us, right, for not asking us to come and be a part of that and help her. But, but we learn through that. And there's, there's, a, there's a, a repentance, a genuine repentance that takes place. But there's also, and there can be, a counterfeit repentance that takes place. And there are times, and we'll see later as the sermon goes along, there are times our children, as they, as they were growing up, or even our spouses, right, or, or even us, right, because really we're talking about us, even when we show a counterfeit repentance. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll do it, I'll just, I'll do it, don't worry about it, I'll, I'll do what you want me to do. And God, and God when, he, when he's asking us to do something, doesn't, doesn't want that kind of response. He wants our heart. So the sermon today is called The Prayers from the Deep. And I want us to look at this because I, I believe there, we're looking at two prayers today, Jonah's and David's, and we're looking at from the deep. Jonah's prayer from the deep came from a prayer of distress because of a circumstance. Now, David was in a circumstance also, a hard circumstance, a circumstance that, was, that had torn and broke his fellowship with God. But his prayer was from the depth of his heart, that he, he aspired to change and be different, that he wanted God to transform who he was and, and what he had become. Jonah just wanted to get out of trouble, get out of distress. So we're going to see the difference in that, okay? Can we do that? All right, let's have a word of prayer and we'll get into our text. Father, you are gracious and loving to us. And we are so grateful that you, you are our dad, that we can look to you, we can cling to you, but that ultimately you are the one that rescues us, that you pursue us with your scandalous grace, you lavish it on us even though we don't deserve it. May we respond to you not out of comfort, but because we want clean hearts. Open our hearts and minds today to your, your scriptures. May they challenge us and shape us and change us. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to look at this, uh, these, these prayers uh, from the deep and what we can kind of observe from each of them. Okay? We, see, we see kind of the sim- same things, but we see one is kind of a counterfeit one and one is a real genuine repentance. Okay? So number one, uh, what we observe is that we are never too far gone. We're never too far gone. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like, you know what, I'm so, I, I've, I've done so much wrong. I'm in such a bad position. I, I am so, I'm too far gone. God could never, ever rescue me. That, that's, that's a lie from Satan, and that, that's a lie that Jonah believed when he said, I, I'm going to flee from the presence of God. You can't escape the presence of God. Now, we can break fellowship with God, and we can suffer the consequences of our actions, but God is always there, and if God is pursuing you, if God is drawing you to himself, you can't escape his grace. You're never too far gone. Let's look at what Jonah said in Jonah chapter 2, beginning in verses 1 and 2. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. So he's inside the fish, right? They swallowed him up. And then what this prayer is, is recounting what happened before he got swallowed by the fish. Okay? He says, I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help in the belly of Sheol. You heard my voice. So really neat, you know, as we read this this psalm of Jonah, we're going to start to think, man, he's, he's got it going together. But we need to take a closer look at what he's saying. Right? What did he say? He said, he said, I cried out for help. Now, see, he understood his distress. He saw where he was at, and he's like, help, I need help. I, don't, I, I thought I wanted to be here, but I really don't want to be here. And he said, I cried out for help, this, this verbiage, I cried out for help, and you heard me. There's almost this, this, this piety, right, this virtue that he has on himself. Like, I spoke to God, and of course, the Lord heard me. And we'll see that continuing on through this text. 
Jonah was as good as dead, right? Jonah, he got tossed into the, into the water. He was as good as dead. And you'd think, you'd think at this point, like you're, you're reading this like, okay, yeah, he's, he is dead. He's dead me. This guy, the way he talks to God, the way he rebels against God, he is going to die. Uh, it's amazing that, that God is just not finished with him. And God continues to pursue him. But that's scandalous grace. When we think we're dead meat, when we think Jonah's as good as dead, when we think God should be done with us, God continues to pursue us. And maybe he's continuing to pursue you today. And you keep running and hiding from him. You keep longing to be somewhere else. And God is continuing to chase you down with his grace. Turn and lean into that grace. Not because of your own virtue, because of God's virtue. God continues to pursue. Listen, God could have definitely, listen, he could have got somebody else to go and preach in Nineveh, right? He didn't, he, didn't have to, he didn't have to use Jonah. God could have got someone else to take care of preaching in Nineveh, but he, God, was concerned more with correcting a relationship with his son. And see, for you and I, as we look at that and look at our, our God, yes, he wants us to, to trust and obey him and do what he says, but God's going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish. He wants to bring us along, fixing the relationship of our heart with him, restoring that back to health, and then using us and blessing us as we obey him, but he doesn't need you to go to Nineveh. He wants you to be a son and daughter. He wants you to be restored in a right relationship with him. So let's go to Psalm chapter 51. Let's look, let's look at David's distress and look at what David says in this psalm. Beginning in verse 1 of, of 51, keep your fingers on both of these, please. This is after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and had his, her, uh, her, her husband killed on the front lines, and he was, he was convicted and, uh, by the prophet Nathan about what he had done. He says this, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin, for I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful in my, when my mother conceived me. Do you see the language there that's different? See, Jonah says, help, I'm in distress. This isn't comfortable. I don't want to die. I'm about to drown and I need you to rescue me. David says, I am, I am so torn up inside. I am, I am so ashamed of who I am and what I've done. Jonah says, it's a, or, or, or David says, it's about what I've done on the inside. My rebellion is constantly before me, he says. And, and he doesn't attribute anything, uh, anything of his own goodness or virtue, right? He, he didn't say, God, because I'm so great, because I, I pray to you, you will hear me. He says, be gracious to me according to your faithful love. Not, not me, be, be gracious to me because you are gracious and you have faithful love. According to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. I know I've rebelled. I know I've gone astray. I know I've ended up broken in, in fellowship with you, and I want that to be restored. He says, you're right when you pass a sentence on me. You are blameless when you judge. I, I deserve this discipline. I deserve this, this distress. I'm guilty. But he saw and he knew that God was faithful. And his scandalous grace was before him. And God had abundant compassion on him and would blot out his rebellion. We are never too far gone. David had every reason to believe he was too far gone. That his rebellion went too deep. And the separation would be 
all he would know. But he knew God and his character. And he didn't base anything he said on his own character. He based it all on God's character. And he longed for the grace of that relationship. I hope that you and I would long for the grace of the relationship we have with Jesus Christ. Not just to get out of our distress. Not that we just need help. So we're never too far gone. Number two, we observe that discipline, God's discipline, helps us fix our eyes on grace. God's discipline helps us fix our eyes on grace. Let's look at verses two or uh, three through four in Jonah. He said, You threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me, but I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more forward uh, or towards your holy temple. The waters in. Uh, that's it. That's, we'll stop there. So, Jonah, what he's saying, this discipline is happening. I want you to see what he says. The first thing he says, You threw me into the depths. He was on the ship, right? Who threw him overboard? The sailors did, right? But what he's acknowledging is these sailors didn't, didn't just take matters into their own hand. They, being led by the Spirit of God, tossed him over the side. And when he's in that water, he knows that, God, you threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas and the current. And this depth of the seas and the current, this talks about there's a river. right? The, the, the tradition would say that the river is your judge. You go into the, the current, and if you get tossed in there and you can, you can withstand the current, then you're, you've, you've been acquitted. And if you go in the current and you can't withstand it and you drown, well, you've been judged. So he, taught, he uses this imagery that makes people understand. He is, he is understanding that this is judgment. He is being thrown into a huge, huge body of water that's discipline, that's judgment, that God is using it to discipline him. And it said, a judgment or a current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. This is, he's, he's trying to get air. He's trying to breathe. He's trying to stay afloat. And you ever have that? You ever get that panic feeling in the water where a tide or some waves or a wake from a boat starts hitting you in the face and you can't touch the ground? You're like, I, I, I'm going to drown. I'm going to die. I just can't get a breath. I can't get high enough to get a breath. This is what he's, he's facing. They swept over me. Then it goes, but I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. So this discipline happened, it, it kind of was a wake-up call for him. God wanted to wake him up, and what did it cause him to do? It caused him to look again to, his whole, to God's holy temple. It caused him to pray to God. It, it describes this experience of discipline. The billows and the waves crashing over, being judged by the current, being thrown around, and, and the distress of that makes us feel like we're banished from God, apart from God, separated from God. But it should prompt us to give ourselves to prayer. What, what it did for Jonah is like, he said, oh, you know what, I'll, I'll give prayer, I'll give prayer a try. You know, he was asked to pray earlier in the text, wasn't he? The, the billows and the waves started crashing on the ship, so it was going to be destroyed. And every, every sailor started praying to their own gods. They're trying to figure out, who do we pray to that makes this, will fix this? And the captain goes and says, get up, you need to pray to your God. There's no indication that he did that. that he could have prayed then. That was a good wake-up call, wasn't it? But it, it, he didn't pray then. He prayed when he, when he saw his life flash before his eyes. He thought he'd give it one more try. You know, in, in football, there's, a, there's a, a, a word, right? You're in the end of the fourth quarter. You're down by less than a touchdown, and you got the ball, and the quarterback's it's the last down and, and seconds to go. What is the quarterback going to do? He's going to throw a what? A Hail Mary. You're going to take that ball on the snap. You're going to throw it as high and as far as you can into and toward the end zone, hoping what? 
that one of your people, one of your colored jerseys is standing underneath it and going to catch it and score the points to win the game. It's a Hail Mary because it might not happen, and it usually doesn't work. But once in a while, it does. See, that's what Jonah was doing. He's like, you know, I have, I have just been so far from God. I've rebelled so far away. I'm just going to throw a Hail Mary. I'm just, I'll fix my eyes back to his temple, and I'll, just, I'll, I'll throw a Hail Mary out that way and see if he, see if he hears, see if he understands. That is not the way we should approach God. God is not our last-ditch effort. He's not the last place we should go. It's the place we should be driven to first and always. And Jonah didn't quite get that. Let's turn back to Psalm 51. Let's see what David did. So 51, and we're looking at verses 6 through 9. David said, Surely you desire integrity in the inner self. And you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop and I will become clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all of my guilt. See, discipline helps us fix our eyes on Jesus. He says, surely you'll desire integrity in the inner self. See, God is concerned with our heart. Where it is and what it's doing. He doesn't want us to give him lip service. Say, God, okay, I'm just, I trust you. Okay, sounds good. Hail Mary. I'm passing the ball. Hopefully you hear me. Let's get out of this. Because that's not a change of heart. David says, you teach me wisdom deep within. See, this is the prayer from the deep. He says, from deep within is where you teach me wisdom. He says, purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. His desire was not to be comfortable. His desire was to be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Yes, I have been crushed. Yes, I'm in despair. Yes, you have disciplined me, but let them rejoice. Because you are a God who is faithful to clean, that I might might rejoice and be glad. And that's God's scandalous grace. And David was so, so aware of that. Number three, the next thing we see in these prayers is there is no hope in separation from God. There is no hope in separation from God. If we go back to Jonah, we look at verses five through six. It said, the waters engulfed me. Continuing on this imagery before he gets swallowed by the fish. The waters engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths came, uh, overcame me. Uh, sea, seaweed wrapped around my neck or my head. Uh, I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth with its prison bars closed behind me forever. See, Jonah's rebellion continued to carry him downward. We thought this, this was done, and, and, but his life is flashing between, before his eyes. He sees what the separation is causing, and it's darkness. It's separation from God. He sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth with its prison bars closed behind forever. Listen, he could not... Although he felt like he was at the very end of darkness, he could never escape God's presence. But he separated his heart from hopeful fellowship with God. Counterfeit repentance, listen, counterfeit repentance took him to a dark, dark place. And if you and I give God lip service and and have a counterfeit repentance, it's going to take us to a dark place also. Now we're going to see this counterfeit repentance. God even even honors that in some way and still spits him back out on on the dry land. And he goes to Nineveh. But the whole book, listen, the whole book is a bummer. It's a bummer story for Jonah. We see it and we're like, will he ever learn? 
Now, what, what we can rejoice in and hope in is that as, as the writer of, of this book, hopefully Jonah or a compatriot of Jonah that was listening, Jonah finally gets it, and he wants, to, he wants to display his ego and his pride and his error as he writes to us. God makes sure that we know, we know the full story of Jonah's heart, and Jonah wants to convey that because he, he does finally get it. There's light at the end of the tunnel. We won't see it in the text, but I think we see it from the fact the text exists. The story exists. Yes, Jonah, the story of Jonah is a bummer because that downward, that downward spiral continued to leave to God, the darkness and it broke his, his hopeful fellowship with God. Let's look at David, though. Let's go back to Psalm 51. So again, the waters were engulfing him up to the neck. The waters came and overcame him. Seaweed wrapped around his head. He was thinking it was just that, that judgment, right? That judgment, that judgment pulling him farther and farther away from the hopeful fellowship with God. And then we go to Psalm 51, and we look at uh, Scripture there, 10 through 13. David says this. Knowing there's no hope and separation from God, he says, God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and give me a what? A willing spirit. I want to be willing to do this. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways, and sinners will return to you. He knows that this separation causes a problem. There's no hope in that separation. So what David longs for, he longs that God would give him a clean heart and a steadfast spirit. He would not be banished from his presence, but his Holy Spirit would be present instead. And that the Spirit working in him, would cause restoration between he and God. That he would be able to be back into right fellowship with God. And that God would grant him and give him a willing spirit. It's so much different than what we see in Jonah. Jonah says, I just see darkness. I just need help. David says, I know that I am the cause of this darkness. And I need a new heart. Not just help. David says, you know, the the motive of my heart when it's challenged and changed, I want you to use me for your purposes, God. He says, my lips, I'll teach, I'll teach the rebellious your ways, and sinners will return to you. We want to be used in a way for God's purpose and for his glory that sinners, that those around us would know God. They wouldn't know someone that's just virtuous because we have it all together, because we don't. But we know a God who does. There's no hope being separated from God. There's only hope in knowing him. Number four, we see that God's grace is based on God and not on you. God's grace is based on God and not on you. Going back to the text in Jonah, the last part of verse 6, it says this, But you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. Well, that's refreshing. Finally, Jonah kind of admits something that God did, but look what he continues to say. As my life was fading away from me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forsake faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. It sounds like he's getting it together, doesn't it, a little bit? But if we really look at this, let's look at this text. He says, but you, God, raised my life from the pit. Yeah, the Lord my God, he's the one who raised it up. He says, but here's, here's how he describes that interaction. As my life was fading away, I finally remembered the Lord. I remembered the Lord. Well, how noble that you would remember the Lord, Jonah. 
You finally thought about the Lord. And, and you can do your own study on this and contrast it with Noah in Genesis. It didn't say, and Noah remembered the Lord. It said, and then the Lord remembered Noah. See, this is about the Lord's grace and not our own memory, not our own account of God. It's about the Lord constantly pursuing us. The Lord always remembers us, and His grace is ever-present right before us, face-to-face, ready to, to be lavished upon us. Oh, but Jonah, he, he remembered the Lord. And my prayer, listen, my prayer that I prayed with such eloquence came to you, to your holy temple. Because I faced it. I remembered, and I faced your temple, and I said, oh, I'm going to throw that pass, and it's going to hit the mark. Then he, then he goes on, he says, the, I prayed to you, look how good I am, look how great I am. Now, this is my own, my own inflections here and interpretation, but I really feel this is his heart. And I feel this is what God's hearing from Jonah. My prayer came to you, to your holy temple. He says, those who cling to worthless idols, they forsake faithful love. But as for me, God's like, well, as for you, God's like, where am I in this whole story? As for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Now, sacrifice is good, and, and, and following through with what you've said, that's, that's important. Those are Jesus things. But Jonah seems like he's like, oh, you know what, I'll, I'll do it. I'll get it all together. It's like our children, the ones that you know, maybe get a little older and you have some teenagers going around. Teenagers, maybe you can understand this too with your parents. Your parents, are getting, they get on your back about something, right? Or we're, on, we're on our children's back. You need to get this done. You need to do it this way. And, and the parents just don't stop nagging, do they? We continue to, you need to, and finally, the, what does the kid say? All right, all right, all right, I'll, I'll do it, I'll do it. I need to honor you, I need to, to just listen to you, I, I don't want to be nagged anymore, but yes, I will follow what you say. And they do it, they do it begrudgingly, but they do it, don't they? That's not real repentance, that's not real honoring, that's not wrapping their heart around it and saying, yes, I want to be obedient to my mom and dad, but they just do it. And see, that's where Jonah is today. He's like, but as for me, yes, I, I'm going to get in line, I'm going to sacrifice to you, and I will fulfill what I, I have vowed. But his confidence was in his, himself. Yes, I'm virtuous. Yes, I've, I've got the wake-up call. I understand, God. I'm going to realign what I thought I was doing back to what you want me to do. I'm going to fulfill that. But you and I need to understand God's grace is based on God, not you. And we need to beware of misplaced confidence. We need to beware of where we place our trust and who we place our trust in. God's grace is based on him. Look at Psalm 51. We're going to jump down to verse 16, and we'll come back to 13, 14. Verse 16 and 17 says this. This is David repenting. You do not want to sacrifice, or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. God, you will not despise a broken and humbled heart. Amen? God does not want our lip service. God does not want us to obey just so he gets off our back. God wants our heart. God wants us to break before him, be humble before him, and and ask for and let his grace flood into our lives, that it would change everything. We are not to make empty promises, but to humbly forsake ourselves and let God be our portion, that we would be most satisfied in him and his scandalous grace that we would not place our confidence in ourselves, but in Jesus. Finally, number five, what we see in this text 
is salvation is from the Lord. Salvation is from the Lord. Let's, let's continue on in Jonah, the end of uh, verse 9 and into verse 10. Jonah says that salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. Listen, although, although Jonah admits that his divine calling was better than the divine judgment that was placed on him, I really believe that Jonah was still holding on to his pride and to his own virtue. Do you see that? And, and, and I would venture to guess that pride makes God want to puke. It makes him want to vomit. Now listen, think about this. The story could have been like, oh, Jonah gets it. How great. He's, he's understood. He's repented. And I'm going to take that fish. And, I, and God could have done this. God could have made that fish come to the surface of the water and just kind of float on a pillow of water, right, and come right up to the beach. And the shore would just be kind of barely moving, just so nice, like, a, like the beach he wanted to go to in Tarshish. And he just pulls up to the, to the shore, and that, that fish just nicely, nicely docks on the shore and just opens his mouth, right? And Jonah just strolls on out. God is so good. I'm going to Nineveh. But there was something dark still there. And God wasn't done disciplining Jonah. And I think the pride that Jonah exhibited, even in his cry, his scream for help in distress, I think the pride that he showed made God want to puke. So what happened? He got puked up on the shore. And that nasty stomach acid, vomit-covered man still understood that he was being disciplined by God, that he wasn't quite where he needed to be. He, he wasn't pursuing a clean heart. He was pursuing comfort. See, and, and listen, God's scandalous grace saved him anyway. See, that's the God that we serve. That's the God that loves us. A God that continues to pursue us even when our motives are way off base. God will continue to pursue us. And, and you and I will suffer if we continue to cry out in our distress for comfort instead of crying out to be cleansed. Let's look at Psalm 51 again. We're done in Jonah. We'll go to Psalm 51. We'll end with verses 14 and 15. Look at what, Jonah, or, uh, look what David says. Verse 14 says, Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. See, David wasn't saying, God, get off my back. I'll, just, I'll get back in line, because that would make God vomit. David said, I am so unclean. You are the God of salvation. I need your cleansing. I need you to change my, my heart. And when my heart is changed and when I, when I humble myself before you, God, I want that to show outwardly. I will obey. I will go out with my lips open. My mouth will declare your praise. He says, cleanse me and make me your faithful servant, a servant who will declare your grace, your scandalous grace, to whoever you call me to talk to, not just to people I think deserve it, See, we will worship, trust, and obey God, not our own virtue or ourselves. And listen, today as we respond, as we respond from our heart, just in prayer, as we respond in our heart in worship, as we, as we respond in our heart and from our heart in living and acting, may we respond not because we want to be comfortable, 
but because we want to be cleansed. Amen? All right. Let's stand and have prayer.